Letters thirty five and thirty six of the Sylph. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. The Sylph by Georgiana Cavendish, Duchess of Devonshire. Letter thirty five to miss grenville enclosed my louisa you will find some letters which have passed between the sylph and your julia i have sent them to inform you of my being present at a masquerade in compliance with the taste of sir william who was very desirous of my exhibiting myself there as he has of late never intimated an inclination to have me in any of his parties till this whim seized him i thought it would not become me to refuse my consent you will find however i was not so dutiful a wife as to pay an implicit obedience to his mandate without taking the concurrence of my guardian angel on the subject my dear you must be first circumstanced as i am which heaven forbid before you can form an idea of the satisfaction i felt on the assurances of myself's being present no words can convey it to you it seemed as if i was going to enjoy the ultimate wish of my heart as to my dress i told sir william i would leave the choice of it to him not doubting in matters of elegant taste he would be far superior to me i made him this compliment as i have been long convinced he has no other pleasure in possessing me than what is excited by the admiration which other people bestow on me nay he has said unless he heard everybody say his wife was one of the handsomest women at court he would never suffer her to appear there or anywhere else that i might do credit to his taste i was to be most superbly brilliant and sir william desired to see my jewels he objected to their manner of being set though they were quite new done when he married but now these were detestable horridly outre and so barbarously antique that i could only appear as rembrandt's wife or some such relic of ancient history as i had promised to be guided by him i acquiesced in what i thought a very unnecessary expense but was much laughed at when i expressed my amazement at the jewellers saying the setting would come to about two hundred pounds this is well worth while for an evening's amusement for they are now in such whimsical forms that they will be scarce fit for any other purpose and oh my louisa do you not think i was cut to the soul when i had this painful reflection to make that many honest and industrious tradesmen are every day dunning for their lawful demands while we are thus throwing away hundreds after hundreds without affording the least heartfelt satisfaction well at last my dress was completed but what character i assumed i know not unless i was the epitome of the folly of this world i thought myself only an agent to support all the frippery and finery of tavistock street but however i received many compliments on the figure i made and some people of the first fashion pronounced me to be quite the thing they say one may believe the women when they praise one of their own sex and miss finch said i had contrived to heighten and improve every charm with which nature had endowed me sir william seemed to tread on air to see and hear the commendations which were lavished on me from all sides to a man of his taste i am no more than any fashionable piece of furniture or new equipage or what will come nearer our idea of things a beautiful prospect which a man fancies he shall never be tired of beholding and therefore builds himself an house within view of it by that time he is fixed he hardly remembers what was his motive nor ever feels any pleasure but in pointing out its various perfections to his guests his vanity is a while gratified but even that soon loses its goo 
and he wonders how others can be pleased with objects now grown familiar and consequently indifferent to him but i am running quite out of the course suppose me now dressed and mingling with a fantastic group of all kinds of forms and figures striving to disengage my eyes from the throng to single out myself our usual party was there miss finch lady barton a distant relation of hers the baron lord biddulph and some others but it was impossible to keep long together sometimes i found myself with one then they were gone and i was tete-a-tete -tete with somebody else for a good while i observed a mask who looked like a fortune-teller following me about particularly when the baron and miss finch were with me i thought i must say something so i asked him if he would tell me my fortune go into the next room said he in a whisper and you shall see one more learned in the occult science than you think but i shall say no more while you are surrounded with so many observers nothing is so easy as to get away from your company in a crowd i slipped from them and went into a room which was nearly empty and still followed by the conjurer i seated myself on a sofa and just turned my head round when i perceived the most elegant creature that imagination can form placed by me i started half breathless with surprise be not alarmed my julia said the phantom for such i at first thought it be not alarmed at the appearance of yourself he took my hand in his and pressing it gently speaking all the while in a soft kind of whisper does my amiable charge repent her condescension in teaching me to believe she would be pleased to see her faithful adherent i begged him to attribute my tremor to the hurry of spirits so new a scene excited and in part to the pleasure his presence afforded me but before i proceed i will describe his dress his figure in itself seems the most perfect i ever saw the finest harmony of shape a waistcoat and breeches of silver tissue exactly fitted to his body buskins of the same fringed etc a blue silk mantle depending from one shoulder to which it was secured by a diamond epaulette falling in beautiful folds upon the ground this robe was starred all over with plated silver which had a most brilliant effect on each shoulder was placed a transparent wing of painted gauze which looked like peacock feathers a cap suitable to the whole dress which was certainly the most elegant and best contrived that can be imagined i gazed on him with the most perfect admiration ah oh, how i longed to see his face which the envious mask concealed his hair hung in sportive ringlets and just carelessly restrained from wandering too far by a white riband in more the most luxuriant fancy could hardly create a more captivating object when my astonishment a little subsided i found utterance how is it possible i should be so great a favourite of fortune as to interest you in my welfare we have each our task allotted us he answered from the beginning of the world and it was my happy privilege to watch over your destiny i speak to you as a man said i but you only answer as a sylph believe me he replied it is the safest character i can assume i must divest myself of my feelings as a man or i should be too much enamoured to be serviceable to you i shut my eyes to the beauties of your person which excites tumultuous raptures in the chastest bosom and only allow myself the free contemplation of your interior perfections there your virtue secures me and renders my attachment as pure as your own pure breast i could not however resist this opportunity of paying my personal devoir to you 
and yet i feel too sensibly i shall be a sufferer for my indulgence but i will never forget that i am placed over you as your guardian angel and protector and that my sole business on earth is to secure you from the wiles and snares which are daily practised against youth and beauty what does my excellent pupil say does she still cheerfully submit herself to my guidance while he spoke this he had again taken my hand and pressed it with rapture to his bosom which beating with violence i own caused no small emotion in mine i gently withdrew my hand and said with as composed a voice as i could command yes my sylph i do most readily resign myself to your protection and shall never feel a wish to put any restriction on it while i am enabled to judge of you from your own criterion while virtue presides over your lessons while your instructions are calculated to make me a good and respectable character i can form no wish to depart from them he felt the delicacy of the reproof and sighing said let me never depart from that sacred character let me still remember i am yourself but i believe i have before said a time may come when you will no longer stand in need of my interposition shall i own to you i sicken at the idea of my being useless to you the time can never arrive in which you will not be serviceable to me or at least when i shall not be inclined to ask and follow your advice amiable julia may i venture to ask you this question if fate should ever put it in your power to make a second choice would you consult yourself hear me cried i while i give you my hand on it and attest heaven to witness my vow that if i should have the fate which may that heaven avert to outlive sir william i will abide by your decision neither my hand nor affection shall be disposed of without your concurrence my obligations to you are unbounded my confidence in you shall likewise be the same i can make no other return than to resign myself solely to your guidance in that and every other concern of moment to me are you aware of what you have said lady stanley it is past recall i answered and if the vow could return again into my bosom it should only be to issue thence more strongly ratified oh cried he clasping his hands together oh thou merciful father make me but worthy of this amiable and most excellent of all thy creatures confidence none but the most accursed of villains could abuse such goodness the blameless purity and innocent simplicity of your heart would make a convert of a libertine alas said i that i fear is impossible but how infinitely happy should i be if my utmost efforts could work the least reformation in my husband could i but prevail on him to quit this destructive place and retire into the peaceful country i should esteem myself a fortunate woman and could you really quit these gay scenes nor cast one longing lingering look behind yes i replied with vivacity nor even cast a thought on what i had left behind would no one be remembered with a tender regret would yourself be entirely forgotten my sylph i answered is possessed of the power of omnipresence he would still be with me wherever i went and would no other ever be thought of you blush lady stanley the face is the needle which points to the polar star the heart from that information may i not conclude some one whom you would leave behind would mix with your ideas in your retirement and that even in solitude you would not be alone i felt my cheeks glow while he spoke 
but as i was a mask i did not suppose the sylph could discover the emotion his discourse caused since said i in a faltering voice you are capable of reading my heart it is unnecessary to declare its sentiments to you but it would be my purpose in retirement to obliterate every idea which might conduce to rob my mind of peace i should endeavour to reform as well as my husband and if he would oblige me by such a compliance to my will i should think i could do no less than seek to amuse him and should indeed devote my whole time and study to that purpose you may think i probe too deep but is not your desire of retirement stronger since you have conceived the idea of the baron's entertaining a penchant for miss finch than it has been heretofore i sighed indeed you do probe very deep and the pain you cause is exquisite but i know it is your friendly concern for me and it proves how needful it is to apply some remedy for the wound the examination of which is so acute instruct me ought i to wish him married should i be happier if he is so and if he married miss finch should i not be as much exposed to danger as at present for his amiable qualities are more of the domestic kind i hardly know how to answer these interrogatories nor am i a judge of the heart and inclinations of the baron only thus much if you have ever had any cause to believe him impressed with your idea i cannot suppose it possible for miss finch or any other woman to obliterate that idea but the heart of man is deceitful above all things for the sake of your interest i wish sir william would adopt your plan though i have my doubts that his affairs are not in the power of any economy to arrange and this consideration urges me to enforce what i have before advised that you do not surrender up any farther part of your jointure as that may too soon be your sole support and i have seen a recent proof of what mean subterfuges some men are necessitated to fly to in order to extricate themselves for a little time but the room fills our conversation may be noticed and in this age of dissipation and licentiousness to escape censure we must not stray within the limits of impropriety your having been so long tete-a-tete -tete with any character will be observed adieu therefore for the present see miss finch is approaching i turned my eye towards the door the sylph rose i did the same he pressed my hand on his quitting it i cast my eye round but i saw him no more how he escaped my view i know not miss finch by this time bustled through the crowd and asked me where i had been and whether i had seen the baron whom she had dispatched to seek after me the baron then coming up rallied me for hiding myself from the party and losing a share of merriment which had been occasioned by two whimsical masks making themselves very ridiculous to entertain the company i assured them i had not quitted that place after i missed them in the great room but however adding that i had determined to wait there till some of the party joined me as i had not courage to venture a tour of the rooms by myself to be sure all this account was not strictly true but i was obliged to make some excuse for my behaviour which otherwise might have caused some suspicion they willingly accompanied me through every room but my eyes could nowhere fix on the object they were in search of and therefore returned from their survey dissatisfied i complained of fatigue which was really true for i had no pleasure in the hurry and confusion of the multitude and it grew late i shall frighten you louisa by telling you the hour but we did not go till twelve at night 
i soon met with sir william and on my expressing an inclination to retire to my great astonishment instead of censuring he commended my resolution and hastened to the door to procure my carriage when you proceed my dear louisa you will wonder at my being able to pursue in so methodical a manner this little narrative but i have taken some time to let my thoughts subside that i might not anticipate any circumstance of an event that may be productive of very serious consequences well then pleased as i was with sir william's ready compliance with my request of returning suppose me seated in my chair and giving way to some hopes that he would yet see his errors and some method be pitched on to relieve all he was ready to hand me out of the chair and led me upstairs into my dressing-room i had taken off my mask as it was very warm he still kept his on and talked in the same kind of voice he practised at the masquerade he paid me the most profuse compliments on the beauty of my dress and throwing his arms round my waist congratulated himself on possessing such an angel at the same time kissing my face and bosom with such a strange kind of eagerness as made me suppose he was intoxicated and under that idea being very desirous of disengaging myself from his arms i struggled to get away from him he pressed me to go to bed and in short his behaviour was unaccountable at last on my persisting to entreat him to let me go he blew out one of the candles i then used all my force and burst from him and at that instant his mask gave way and in the dress of my husband oh louisa judge if you can of my terror i beheld that villain lord biddulph curse on my folly cried he that i could not restrain my raptures till i had you secure thou most insolent of wretches said i throwing the most contemptuous looks at him how dared you assume the dress of my husband to treat me with such indignity while i spoke i rang the bell with some violence he attempted to make some apology for his indiscretion urging the force of his passion the power of my charms and such stuff i stopped him short by telling him the only apology i should accept would be his instantly quitting the house and never insulting me again with his presence with a most malignant sneer on his countenance he said i might indeed have supposed my caresses were disagreeable when offered under the character of an husband i had been more blessed at least better received had i worn the dress of the baron all men lady stanley are not so blind as sir william i felt myself ready to expire with confusion and anger at his base insinuation your hint said i is as void of truth as you are of honour i despise both equally but would advise you to be cautious how you dare traduce characters so opposite to your own by this time a servant came in and the hateful wretch walked off insolently wishing me a good repose and humming an italian air though it was visible what chagrin was painted on his face preston came into the room to assist me in undressing she is by no means a favourite of mine and as i was extremely fatigued and unable to sit up i did not choose to leave my door open till sir william came home nor did i care to trust her with the key i asked for winifred she told me she had been in bed some hours let her be called then said i can't i do what your ladyship wants no i choose to have win sit with me i will attend your ladyship if you please it would give me more pleasure if you would obey than dispute my orders i was vexed to the soul and spoke with a peevishness unusual to me she went out of the room muttering to herself i locked the door terrified lest that monster had concealed himself somewhere in the house 
nor would i open it till i heard wynne speak poor girl she got up with all the cheerfulness in the world and sat by my bedside till morning sir william not returning the whole night my fatigue and the perturbation of mind i laboured under together with the total deprivation of sleep contribute to make me extremely ill but how shall i describe to you my dear louisa the horror which the reflection of this adventure excited in me though i had by the mercy of heaven escaped the danger yet the apprehension it left on my mind is not to be told and then the tacit apprehension which the base wretch threw on my character by daring to say he had been more welcome under another appearance struck so forcibly on my heart that i thought i should expire from the fears of his traducing my fame for what might i not expect from such a consummate villain who had so recently proved to what enormous lengths he would go to accomplish his purposes the blessing of having frustrated his evil design could hardly calm my terrors i thought i heard him each moment and the agitation of my mind operated so violently on my frame that my bed actually shook under me wynne suffered extremely from her fears of my being dangerously ill and wanted to have my leave to send for a physician but i too well knew it was not in the power of medicine to administer relief to my feelings and after telling her i was much better begged her not to quit my room at any rate about eleven i rose so weak and dispirited that i could hardly support myself soon after i heard sir william's voice i had scarce strength left to speak to him he looked pale and forlorn i had had a conflict within myself whether i should relate the behaviour of lord biddulph to my husband lest the consequences should be fatal but my spirits were so totally exhausted that i could not articulate a sentence without tears what is the matter julia with you said he taking my hand you seem fatigued to death what a poor rake you are i have had something more than fatigue to discompose me answered i sobbing and i think i have some reproaches to make you for not attending me home as you promised why lord biddulph promised to see you home i saw him afterwards and he told me he left you at your own house lord biddulph said i with the most scornful air and did he tell you likewise of the insolence of his behaviour perhaps he promised you too that he would insult me in my own house heyday julia what's in the wind now lord biddulph insult you pray let me into the whole of this affair i then related the particulars of his imprudent conduct and what i conceived his design to be together with the repulse i had given him sir william seemed extremely chagrined and said he should talk in a serious manner on the occasion to lord biddulph and if his answers were not satisfactory he should lie under the necessity of calling him to account in the field terrified lest death should be the consequence of a quarrel between this infamous lord and my husband i conjured sir william not to take any notice of the affair any otherwise than to give up his acquaintance a circumstance much wished for by me as i have great reason to believe sir william's passion for play was excited by his intimacy with him and perhaps may have led him to all the enormities he has too readily and too rapidly plunged himself into he made no scruple to assure me that he should find no difficulty in relinquishing the acquaintance and joined with me that a silent contempt would be the most cutting reproof to a man of his caste on my part i am resolved my door shall never grant him access again and if sir william should entirely break with him which after this atrocious behaviour i think he must 
i may be very happy that i have been the instrument since i have had such an escape but still louisa the innuendo of lord bidolph disturbs my peace how shall i quiet my apprehensions does he dare scrutinize my conduct and harbor suspicions of my predilection for a certain unfortunate base as is his soul he cannot entertain an idea of the purity of a virtuous attachment ah that speech of his has sunk deep in my memory no time will efface it when i have been struggling too yes louisa when i have been combating this fatal but what am i doing why do i use these interdicted expressions i have done alas what is become of my boasting if i cannot prescribe rules to a pen which i can in one moment throw into the fire how shall i restrain the secret murmurings of my mind whose thoughts i can with difficulty silence or even control adieu yours more than her own julia stanley letter thirty six to miss grenville alas louisa fresh difficulties arise every day and every day i find an exertion of my spirits more necessary and myself less able to exert them sir william told me this morning that he had lost frequent sums to lord bidolph it wounds my soul to write his detested name and since it was prudent to give up the acquaintance it became highly incumbent on him to discharge these play-debts for which purpose he must have recourse to me and apprehended he should find no difficulty as i had expressed my wish of his breaking immediately with his lordship this was only the prelude to a proposal of my resignation of my marriage articles my ready compliance with his former demands emboldened him to be urgent with me on this occasion at first i made some scruples alleging the necessity there was of keeping something by us for a future day as i had too much reason to apprehend that what i could call my own would be all we should have to support us this remonstrance of mine however just threw sir william into a rage he paced about the room like a madman swore that his difficulties proceeded from my damned prudery and that i should extricate him or abide by the consequences in short louisa he appeared in a light entirely new to me i was almost petrified with terror and absolutely thought once he would beat me for he came up to me with such fierce looks and seized me by the arm which he actually bruised with his grasp and bade me at my peril refuse to surrender the writings to him after giving me a violent shake he pushed me from him with such force that i fell down unable to support myself from the trembling with which my whole frame was possessed don't think to practise any of the cursed arts of your sex upon me don't pretend to throw yourself into fits i scorn your imputation sir william said i half fainting and breathless nor shall i make any resistance or opposition to your leaving me a beggar i have now reason to believe i shall not live to want what you are determined to force from me as these violent methods will soon deprive me of my existence even if you would withhold the murderous knife come none of your damned whining let me have the papers and let us not think any more about it he offered to raise me i want not your assistance said i oh you are sulky are you but i shall let you know madam these airs will not do with me i had seated myself on a chair and leaned my elbow on a table supporting my head with my hand he snatched my hand away from my face while he was making the last speech what the devil am i to wait all day for the papers where are the keys 
take them said i drawing them from my pocket do what you will provided you leave me to myself damned sex cried he wives or mistresses by heaven you are all alike so saying he went out of the room and opening my bureau possessed himself of the parchment so much desired by him i have not seen him since and now it is past eleven what a fate is mine however i have no more to give up so he cannot storm at or threaten me again since i am now a beggar as well as himself i shall sit about an hour longer and then i shall fasten my door for the night and i hope he will not insist on my opening it for him i make win lie in a little bed in a closet within my room she is the only domestic i can place the least confidence in she sees my eyes are red with weeping she sheds tears but asks no questions farewell my dearest louisa pity the sufferings of thy sister who feels every woe augmented by the grief she causes in your sympathizing breast adieu adieu j s end of letters thirty five and thirty six